0: You in to Relationship Factor, where we have authentic conversations about sex and relationships, moving you from problem to solution, from functional to exceptional relationships. I'm your host, Kingsley Moyer, a relationship and sex therapist. good to be back. It's been a while. Last we dropped an episode was sometime in July last year. And since then, a lot of things have changed. Since then, I have opened a private practice called Life Collective Counseling. A practice that specializes on relationships and sex therapy. And you guessed that right? I am a relationship and sex therapist where I have conversations and see clients from all walks of life, dealing with relationships or dealing with uh, sexual concerns. Yeah, and and because of that, the podcast is being rebranded under that private practice. Um, It's still the same host, yours truly, Kingsley. I like hanging out with you. So we'll continue that. Now our conversations are just going to be around sex and relationships. We're going to be going into the ins and outs of what makes relationships work and the ins and out of what is sexual pleasure how do we figure things out if you have mismatched uh, desires with your partner painful sex for women erectile dysfunction hey still we want to move you from 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 problem to solution from functional to exceptional relationship and sexual experiences and you guessed that right I'm still your host Kingsley Moyo a relationship and sex Therapist. Let's get to it. Let's talk about all of it. And my guest today is Kelsey Ulrich. She's not a stranger to the Relationship Factor podcast. She was one of the very first guests that we had when we launched up Relationship Factor. She's a licensed psychotherapist and art therapist located in Seattle, Washington. She Uh, She's a psychotherapist that provides uh, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy uh, with areas of particular interest in relational trauma, codependency, sex, and love addiction. And for this episode, we're going to be having a conversation around sex and love addiction. Join me for this conversation. Sex and love addiction. Um, You often hear the term... Addiction, addiction, and often addiction is tagged to pornography. Addiction is tagged to, uh, methamphetamine, uh, bl- 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 ah, I'm losing that methamphetamine, mm-hmm. um, sex and love addiction. You would always hear the term addiction tagged to alcohol, uh, tagged to pornography, tagged to many other disorders, but generally you never hear it tagged to love you never hear it tagged to sex sex addiction um well you could kind of find it there um kelsey we're talking about sex and love addiction why don't we just go in there and just talk about define these terms what are they what does love addiction look like what does sex addiction look like
1: mm-hmm. what is that mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question um and you know, unfortunately, there's not a, a simple answer. So I'll be, I don't know, concise as I can be with this. Um, and the reason why, Kingsley, there's not a simple answer is because it can really present differently in different people. Um, and so, yeah, you know, sometimes people identify with just the sex addiction piece. And um, I think, like, in mainstream culture, that looks like porn addiction, you um, uh, Hiring uh, sex workers compulsively, uh, cheating, you know, like chronic compulsive cheaters, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I what I would say, like maybe like more overt examples. Um, but then, you know, love addiction or sex and love addiction. Some people prefer both terms or one or the other. Um, that's a bit more, I would say it's harder to detect because culturally speaking, I think there is a lot of unhealthy beliefs and behavior around romance and sex and Mm. love and what those things mean and so i want to preface this with what i talk about in our conversation today some people might think well you know hey i I do those things or like that's what everybody does and um it's it's
0: normalized
1: it is yes and a lot of a lot of these things are quote-unquote typical normal behavior but the hallmarks of addiction are you know does it create Unmanageability manageability in your life you know yeah. do you feel powerless to change the behavior or stop the behavior and then there is you know the qualities of um obsession and compulsion in in the things that one's doing so those are really important components to keep in mind as we're talking about this
0: so that would look like um you have an exam tomorrow you're not studying um you are engaged in some sexual area Um, you are married, you are not home, you're missing appointments uh, at your workplace, wherever it causes dysfunction.
1: Yes, yes, dysfunction. That's, that's, that's a really big piece of it. And again, you know, at least in the way that I work, like, It's not, I'm very like, I I like to look at things on a continuum or a spectrum. And I don't know what might feel unmanageable to one person might be different for another. And so, mm -hmm. so, you know, I think with that being said, like some people can really, like, I don't know, I think about like higher functioning alcoholics or addicts, like people who on the outside seem like they have it all together, they're doing well at work, but inside they might be suffering. Um, mm. and you know, maybe that shows up in like isolating themselves and not having a lot of like relationships or medicating in other ways. So, you know, um, this is, this is complex, um, as far as, you know, how these symptoms can present and like how one defines, you know, unmanageability and, and dysfunction.
0: Right, right. So if we're talking about, um, love addiction, cause love addiction is, is an interesting one for me how can you be addicted to love? Mm. Well, love is a good thing. Wouldn't mm. Why wouldn't I want more of it? And so this is a person who is really moving from relationship to relationship because you're seeking to fill a hole that's empty. Is that what we're talking about when talk about love yeah. addiction?
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, and yeah, we are we are wired for connection. We're relational beings. It is normal and healthy to want those things. And when somebody is compulsively seeking that, whether that's through casual sex or being like a serial monogamist and just in relationship after relationship. Um, yeah, because they're, they're trying to fill a void or they treat people as a higher power where that person dictates their life or, or the, um, not, it doesn't have to be a person, but it might be the, um, the act or, uh, a behavior that like they have to engage in because that defines them in some way hmm. an example that comes to mind um i guess it's maybe like something that maybe people wouldn't think of is like um oh gosh i'm just i'm losing it now uh i don't know like a- approval seeking or validation ah, seeking and that can look okay. like so many different things like i don't know we, we all again we all do these things but like posting selfies to get attention from people um in a romantic way or um you know defining the way that you dress or appear to the world in order to garner attention and attraction from others so things like that that um really bring somebody out of the present moment or outside of themselves in some way
0: it's interesting you mention that because uh in this generation of social media our self-worth is now measured by the number of likes we get. Somebody posts something, they would expect that, hey, I'm gonna get uh, 10, 20, 30 likes, and they get one like, and their self-worth is deflated. Mm -hmm. And that can be a dangerous place to be in because seeking that love, um, uh, and because you didn't get that, it also means that you have to up your game and maybe sexualize yourself more uh, as a male or female in order to get more likes. And does that kind of lead you into a path of really getting into that sex and love addiction because you want that self with is measured by those likes. Is that where we're going with that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely an example. And oh, gosh, I mean, there's so much there. Like we, I could easily go into like a tangent on how so much in our culture is almost like designed for addiction. I mean, social media, I feel like mm. is really set up for us to, engage in those behaviors and I think dating uh, apps yeah dating apps yes um it's it's really fueled by that and I don't know the, the best way that I can maybe kind of put it is like you know maybe somebody who is struggling with sex and love addiction who's doing those behaviors on social media um you know if they're not getting well a it's like um it's like this is a term I think in a AA, it's like uh, one drink isn't, or one one's too many and a thousand's not enough. Mm. Um, so it's like they could be getting hundreds of likes, but it's still not enough. It's still like they want more and more. And maybe that leads them to feeling suicidal. I mean, this mm. is something I do here. And this is, I, you know, I need people to understand that this addiction, it, it can kill people in the mm. way of you know, uh, self-harm or or suicidality, where it drives someone to feel so low, you know. Alone. Isolated, alone, unloved, that, you know, it it drives them to to having thoughts like this. Whereas maybe somebody who um, has a more functional relationship with love and sex and has maybe um, uh, self-esteem or a good enough self-esteem you know, they might think, oh man, like, that's not really like, I got these likes and that feels good. Or like, oh man, I didn't get the reaction I wanted, but you know what? That's okay. Like, this is just like, it's just social media. They might have an easier time, um, you know, separating themselves from that and not taking that on as truth or like their own, like part of their value system. Right.
0: So, so sex and love addiction is not a mental health, but it can lead to mental health, uh, uh, concerns. For example, if I'm hearing you correctly, It sounds like while somebody's in this space, COVID, the pandemic, um, uh, Christmas, we're during around the holiday season. Now, everybody's posting pictures in their couples, pajamas. Everybody's posting pictures with their boo and uh, someone Mm -hmm. on vacation. And somebody's sitting there thinking, okay, I don't have anybody. All Mm -hmm. I have is social media. You post something and you get that one or two, five likes. You go back into your room you cry you're all alone depression sets in it's a downward spiral
1: yeah it's a downward
0: spiral so help me understand something here is sex addiction the same things as porn addiction
1: not necessarily um and you know this field is i would say is sex and love addiction is newer in mental health. So I think there's still a lot being formed and created and, and, you know, there's, it's, there's so much there that is still like new territory to be explored. But as of right now, um, I would say different, mm, I would say clinicians who are, who are really, you know, working in this field, um, Would define it differently. And so some people do exclusively, you know, define porn addiction as exclusively porn addiction. And sex addiction might be an umbrella to that. Because, you know, some porn addicts might only have, um, you know, an issue with compulsively watching porn or using porn. um, But maybe they don't have any kind of love addiction traits where they're, you know, seeking out relationships um, and, you know, feeding feeding that need. Um, So it's, you know, and I I think, again, it's not so black and white. um, And and I think this is all still being um, kind of figured out as we're looking more closely at it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because even um, as a sex therapist, in the world of sex therapy, a lot of things are evolving. There is more conversation around the idea of, is this really an addiction? Mm -hmm. Um, Or are we really dealing with a trauma that happened in the past? Is this really addiction, or are we really dealing with a void, or a coping mechanism? And so it sounds like when somebody is love addicted, they're really dealing with a void that needs to be filled. And attachment styles. Yeah. How do we connect all of this? Like, yeah. like how,
1: I'm how- glad that you brought that up because th- I think this is a really this is a really huge debate and conversation of. You know, is this actually an addiction? Can you, you know, can you have sex and love addiction? There, there are um, clinicians out there who are strongly against that terminology. Um, I'm not one of those people, and I'll, I'll kind of get into why that is. But um, you know, some people feel more comfortable calling it an intimacy disorder
0: because intimacy yes, disorder,
1: yes, yes, which speaks into attachment style. I mean, there is a lot of, um, I would say research and understanding that this does develop from attachment wounding um, or injury uh, issues and family of origin, developmental or relational trauma. Um, So yeah, it's, it's the roots begin there. And I don't know, I think it's really what you, when I work with people, I, I tell them, I'm like, you know, I don't need, I don't need you to identify as a sex and love addict if that doesn't feel right to you because mm. there's a lot so of stigma
0: pathologize yeah i think that's that's a crucial thing to understand because i um, more often even when i'm in therapy and somebody comes in they tell me i'm addicted mm. okay um why do you say you were addicted mm. they probably read somewhere on social media saying that hey if you're doing a b c d you D, you're addicted so they have already pathologized themselves they now have become the pathology the identity is is lost so almost you have to deconstruct that and say okay what meanings have you attached in that Mm. who is you where are you in this whole process of addiction Mm -hmm. and so when you people come in there you don't really care to say not care to say you don't really want to them to identify as that but you work through it
1: I keep it open. You know, I want them to decide for themselves what they how they want to talk about it or what language they want to use. Um I do believe it 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 is can be an addiction. And at the same time, it's a label's a label. Um it's just it's just language. Um we're talking about the same thing, whether it's intimate intimacy disorder or called an addiction, in my opinion. It's real. Um, yeah, it's real. And I think sometimes, you know, and there's just so much stigma and shame around the word addict or addiction. And I think that needs to change too. Like, I think like, why, like, why, why does that exist? And there's a lot of good reasons as to why that, that has become that. Um, But I have also found too, that people find it helpful to call themselves an addict because it gives language to something that they haven't been able to define or explain before. And I think it's helpful, too, when we can kind of talk about it in terms of, like, this is just a part of you. This is not your identity. This is not who you are. This is, like, the addict part. Um, that's how I like to talk about it, you know, when I'm working with clients.
0: Yeah. One of the one of the things that I've observed is that while we may talk about all these dysfunctions that we have, um, the depression, the anxiety the compulsive sex, uh, love addiction, or sex addiction. We tend to treat all of these things as enemies. Mm. But there's another piece that maybe we could consider in saying, what is this thing serving us? How is it serving us? What is it telling us about ourselves? And as we befriended, um, not to say we wanted to stick around, like, t- like having a conversation, like, tell me more. So why are you in my life? What exactly is going on? What do I need? What happened as opposed to putting up a wall and treating it as an enemy, not talking about it. And before you even think about it, before you even start dealing with some of these things, sex has some stigma and shame around it, depending on where you come from, the continent, your background, there's shame around that. Now for somebody to come and seek out help and find you as a therapist and say, hey, um, I'm love or sex addicted. That's a leap.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love what you were saying about learning to embrace and love that part of ourselves and and be curious about a part of ourselves versus pushing it away or shaming that. Um, you know, I think about what we resist persists. And so if we're continually judging a part of ourselves that we think is wrong or bad, it almost gives that part more strength in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so yeah. Shame
0: thrive in secrecy
1: yes yes exactly um secrecy breeds shame and yeah so i you know i invite clients to be curious about that part of themselves and and learn to love that part of themselves because that that part is coming from a wounded place
0: yeah so we're in the christmas season right now um for students that have traveled or can't travel back which means they are alone mm. um couples are posting pictures um marriages are struggling couples are struggling or that fling that you had just showed up and you're trying to get back into being uh sex sober love sober what do we need to understand Kelsey during this Christmas season <laughs> how do we navigate all of these things during this Christmas season and this 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 holiday season yeah
1: yeah it's you know I think it it goes back to that compassion for ourselves. I mean, this is such a hard time of year for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. It's so layered and complex. And, you know, our culture, you know, as we if we've been talking about with social media, like we advertise everything. So it's constantly in our faces about, you know, being with family, being with a partner. And not everyone has that situation, you know, people have Strain relationships with their family or they're single or going through a separation. And, you know, we don't see those things advertised and, you know, Christmas commercials or on social media. And so, you know, something I've been inviting clients to do when, when they're, you know, in recovery, God, and especially if you're in recovery and this is, you know, you're in recovery and you're in, in a, the holiday season, it's an especially tough time for, um, for folks in recovery. So I just, you know, want to add that into, because typically, you know, people would be using, whether that's a substance or behavior, you know, they they would be using to numb out feeling Mm -hmm. these feelings. So, um, just being really compassionate with yourself that this is new. Um, if you, you know, if you're in the recovery space, but for people in general, you know, I, I've been inviting clients to, reflect on, you know, what does, what does the holiday season mean to you? Hmm. You know, what, like, how do you define that for yourself and not necessarily what the culture has prescribed or, um, expects, you know, making this, you know, like developing your own rituals or developing, um, your own value system about what, what this time of year means. And I don't know, doing things to, to foster that, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: one of one of the things that you would realize especially when you're dealing with something that's addictive is that we don't usually have compassion for ourselves. um if we do it again it's like oh snap i did it again i'm a failure i'm a loser how could i even do that and that's the voice that sticks and it'll it'll plunge you into a deep dark place so i think that's true have compassion for yourself look at the parts that are doing well and look at the parts that are struggling and say hey we're working on this Mm -hmm. and 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 i think that's huge why during this 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 holiday season to be compassionate for yourself and just because you don't have that relationship it doesn't mean that you're a failure just because you don't have that family around it doesn't mean that you're a failure circumstances happened And you're not necessarily a a failure. And the almost the antidote for that is the rituals. I like that. Yeah, creating rituals. And for some having moved to, I know you moved to a different city now. um, Perhaps fans and family are not close by. What rituals are you going to have? COVID is, is It's just messed up things. People just can't travel. There's the conflict between the vaxxed and the anti-vaxxed and people coming together. And so some people may be staying at home alone. And the question is, what rituals are you going to to create for yourself? Now, I'm just curious. When we're talking about sex and love addictions for couples that are, are in a committed relationship, what are some of the things that you would observe about your partner?
1: Mm. And
0: then what are some of the things or the ways that you can work through this um, towards healing? Because I'm guessing both people are hurt. Yeah, Both people are hurting. So how do you identify or see it? Maybe talk about as an individual, how do you identify it? And then if you're in a couple relationship, how do you identify it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, that's, A really good question um and you know my first thought on that is well if we're talking about a long-term relationship and somebody has a concern about their partner identifying with sex and love addiction then i have to wonder about the partner in the relationship too you know where are they on that spectrum Mm. um you know some some people consider sex and love addiction as an extreme form of codependency so through that lens, the relationship is probably codependent to some degree if if somebody's in a relationship with an addict of any sorts. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, how, I don't know, like how you might be picking up on that, you know, I would say, you know, codependent behavior, you know, somebody um, maybe placing a lot of value, like over, like overly valuing and placing too much importance on the relationship to the point where it might be smothering. Um, that that's just one again, these are this is there are many examples here, but um, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of outlets outside of the relationship. All of their attention is fully on this. Um, maybe they have unrealistic or unhealthy expectations of you as a partner and the relationship and want you to meet all of their needs. Um, you know, if it's in the more sexual realm, you know your partner might be, you might notice that they're masturbating several mm-hmm. times a day every day or you're finding pornography. Um, on their computer, on their phone, um, you know, I would say hard copies, but I think that's, you know, not as common, but, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, those are some, like, I would say like more classic signs, but again, I, it it can be very hard to detect too.
0: Mm-hmm. So empathy as well for the person who is going through that and the person who's going through the empathy for themselves.
1: Yeah. So
0: it, it brings, brings the idea that you have to talk about it.
1: Yeah.
0: Because um, for some, it may be normalized, and therefore they don't talk about it. Whether you've normalized it or not, it's good to check in and say, "Hey, I'm noticing this. How are we doing? Is everything okay?"
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, and I, I, really love what you just said about it's so normalized that. I think a lot of people in relationships like these just don't even know they're like, Oh, this is just what couples do. And this is, you know, uh, this is normal. And, um, but yeah, I think inviting curiosity and challenging ourselves and the relationship in a healthy way of, okay, like, is this actually serving us? You know, um, are we growing, um, or is this stunting us in some way? Um, yeah, I think I think inviting that curiosity in. I mean, there are assessments out there online. You know, it, it could be even worth taking one yourself or doing so what one do you together.
0: Go- what do you mm-hmm. Google if you're looking for an assessment online? What would you type in?
1: I would say, so the, probably the most accessible one is going to be through Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Um, okay. That doesn't jive for everyone. I am a big advocate for 12-step programs. Um, but you know, people get a little bit uncomfortable with the higher power spiritual component to twelve steps. So I'm sensitive to that. So if that doesn't resonate, um, there are other really great resources. Um, a couple of clinicians that come to mind who have assessments on their websites: Jody White, LPC. Uh, I think she's in Texas. Stacy Sprout. Um, she has a book. I believe it's called Naked in Public. She has a really great online. A website presence with lots of resources. Um, And um, Alexandra Katahakis for the Center of Healthy Sex in Los Angeles, their website also um, has some stuff on there. Yeah, has assessments. So, and I I like to give credit to other people because there's so many great women actually who are doing uh, phenomenal work. Yeah, in this. So, yeah. yeah.
0: It sounds like um, if you are single, it's not necessarily a journey to go on your own. If you have people or resources, you can get on, do it. If you are a couple, um, don't do it alone, yeah. because this could be a place of where you bond yeah. and you see each other. And certainly, the resources that that you shared can be helpful for you to be able to um, to navigate this this holiday season. And I think uh, another important thing to 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 mention is that when you're in this stage in order for you to be able to get out of this this dark place or this difficult place is you have to acknowledge it mm-hmm. that there is something that's happening and don't expect that you would heal in a week yeah. it's actually healing mm-hmm. ing like it's going it's going it's going to take some time for some people you hear stories where somebody hey, i was like this and this happened for me in three months i was i was good and somebody says, well, I'm at month number eight. I'm still struggling. What's, what's yes. wrong with me?
1: Yes. Normalizing that, I think, is so important because I hear people who come into recovery, they're like, okay, yeah, in a year, I'm going to have this under control. I'm going to be good to go. Everything will be like normal. And um, I wish I wish that were the case or that there was a timeline. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be different for everybody. But this is some deep, again, if we're thinking about it, in terms of it being an intimacy disorder and rooted in childhood trauma, um, attachment, this is not, this is not a quick fix. There's not a magic bullet for this. Um, It's going to take time. And so I think normalizing the recovery process, I mean, I've read in literature that it, it it, like recovery could take years. Mm. Um, And that's not to scare anybody. That's just to like also inviting compassion that this is not like, don't put so much pressure on yourself to, to expect things to change so quickly, it it, it is going to take time, and there's a lot of layer. It's like an onion. There's it's peeling back the layers over time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it can be a uh, significantly difficult um, to try and navigate this alone, um, and certainly you need you need that patience to be able to to work through it, um, not alone. With people that can come into your life and of course this is a this is a huge topic we can't necessarily exhaust all of it and um, finish all of it but certainly this kind of scratches the surface that sex and love addiction exists there's help there's resources out there Uh, whatever you may deem dysfunction because dysfunction is different for a whole lot of people um, it's crucial for you to to go ahead and start start seeking help talking with your partner um and 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 get to that space whereby at least this holiday season you can be able to to go through it and and find healing kelsey i know we could go on and on on this topic um um but what are you up to where can people find more information about you what is your world like what's been happening for you where can we connect with you online
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, as you kind of alluded to before, I'm in a new new city. I'm now in Seattle. Um, I just moved here a few months ago from Santa Fe. So um, I'm in a place of transition with my work. Um, so I recently moved out of private practice and I'm now working for a company called Field Trip Health and we offer ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So, um, you know, that that's a bit different than the work I have been doing. Um, it's not to say that, you know, I'm on the side, I'm, I'm still, you know, fighting the good fight for sex and love addiction and wanting to support clients with that. And sometimes that does show up in the work I'm doing. Um, but you can also follow me on Instagram, um, where I'm, you know, sharing parts that are professional and personal and what I'm up to. That's probably the best way to kind of see what, staying up to date with what's happening with me.
0: All right, thank you so much. If you want to dig in more and understand the attachment styles that we talked about, is not a stranger on this podcast. She was one of my first guests, and she she is back again. You can check out episode eleven. We dig into what these attachment styles and these two will make sense when you connect. Hey, it's a wrap. Uh, Relationship factor. It was always good to connect with you. Um, and now we've transitioned, uh, making some big changes with Relationship Factor podcast. It's now a brand of Life Collective Counseling. Uh, So go check out our website for more episodes, lifecollectivecounseling.com or go to any platform where you listen to podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, you name it. It was good hanging out with you. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for joining.
1: Thanks, Kelsey. It's great to be here.
0: Take care. Bye-bye.